Well, good morning. Let's go ahead and turn in our Bible to Luke chapter 1 as we continue our countdown to Christmas here on Sunday morning. May as way as far as 39. Let's pick it up there. And in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby in her womb leapt. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Last time together we found that Gabriel has now announced to Mary that she was carrying the Son of God. Miraculously conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit upon her, and as the Holy Spirit overshadowed her, conceived while she was in a period called a betrothal period to her fiancé Joseph, who was technically her husband, but they had not yet consummated their relationship as husband and wife. And in that period of time, though looked at legally married to Joseph, uh, she could be held in great consequence for any kind of un, uh, unfavorable action, any kind of uh, mistrust uh, or cheating upon her fiancé at that time. And for her to become pregnant at this time was a serious offense. To the point where she could be executed for what has taken place. Now we find here that she quickly makes haste to her relative Elizabeth. Most believe that Elizabeth was Mary's cousin. I probably agree with that, but we don't know that from biblical perspective other than the fact that the Bible calls Elizabeth her relative, but from extra-biblical sources, we get a clearer understanding that she was most likely Mary's cousin. But the word that Luke uses in verse 39 was that Mary, by haste, left to find Elizabeth. Undoubtedly, Mary was curious to see if the promise that Gabriel had stated was true. Though she never doubted it, she was more looking to confirm and to be encouraged by it, that Elizabeth in her elderly years conceived and therefore was going to bring forth a son that would be the forerunner to the Messiah in whom Mary was carrying. Mary is a roughly 14 years old at this time. In that culture, that was an acceptable time to start bearing children. In our culture today, we, we wouldn't think about that. We would consider that much too young to start a family. When, when she was betrothed to uh, Joseph, it happened 
prior to her probably her not personal knowledge. Uh, the wedding for a Jewish young lady in that culture would begin with an uh, a arranged marriage that would start even before she was aware of the fact. It could be from the time of the birth of the two children that the children would be arranged to marry one another. But after being arranged, there would come a time where a ceremony would take place, and then that ceremony would state to all around that they are now in a betrothal period of time. That betrothal period of time went on for about a year until they had a second celebration, and that is when the marriage was now officially uh, recognized further and then consummated and therefore uh, unable to be broken. Being in that betrothed period of time, it's very likely that she really didn't know Joseph very well. For interaction between two who were arranged in that culture was very infrequent. And for two to just, you know, uh, start to get to know each other and saying, listen, we're, we're arranged and therefore we should get to know each other. And uh, if you will friend me on Facebook, I'll friend you on Facebook. And that didn't take place. Usually they began talking after the first ceremony and the betrothal period. So Joseph really didn't know Mary that well. And then for her to come and to say to him, uh, Joseph, um, I'm pregnant and I haven't been with anyone. The child belongs to God. Now, would that be a lot to handle? It's like, okay, where do I unfriend you and how fast can I do it? That would be very difficult to hear. And it was very difficult for Joseph to hear. If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, we find in verse 18 the reaction of Joseph to this news. I believe because she was in the betrothal period, one of the first people to know about the pregnancy would be Joseph himself. But Joseph was taken back by it, undoubtedly. And this could be one of the causes for her haste to make to her cousin Elizabeth. Verse 18 of Matthew's Gospel. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, that is the term that would lead to her personal execution. This is Joseph taking Mary before the religious leaders and the judges of Nazareth, and therefore undoubtedly leading to her execution. Uh, and as a result, of course, she would be put to shame. But rather, he decided to resolve it uh, to divorce her quietly. Now, this is most likely where she now has left to hastily make her way to Elizabeth. Now, it's not that just Elizabeth lived on the other side of town. She lived in one of the hill uh, towns of Judea, which is simply one of the towns around Jerusalem in the hills, and therefore it would have been about an 80 to 100 mile journey from where she was currently at. And being pregnant, undoubtedly, that was not an easy journey to make. 
She most likely went with some type of caravan for protection from, uh, you know, robbers that may lay along the way. But for her to leave and to go such a far distance, undoubtedly something had happened in Nazareth that she thought it might be better if she was not there. And that seems plausible to myself. And I believe it is at this point that God gets a hold of Joseph. Verse 20 of Matthew's Gospel. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. This is, of course, um, uh, Isaiah. To, and conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Oh, he even writes it there for us. What a nice guy. And when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took his wife but knew her not, meaning did not have physical intimacy with her until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So making her way to Elizabeth, undoubtedly to allow Joseph a period of time to either file for the divorce and to quietly put her away, she now finds herself with her cousin Elizabeth in the hill country or the hill town of Judea, and when she entered into the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and pronounced to her, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb." I was shocked to discover, more amazed to discover, how much Jewish individuals at that time considered the child during the nine-month gestation within the womb of the mother. Do you know it was the Hebrew culture, one of the first cultures that began to speak to children while they were still in the womb of their mother, believing full-heartedly that this would help them recognize their parents' voice. I thought that was very interesting. They also went on a little bit further to believe that during the nine-month period within the mother's womb, they could petition and ask God to change the gender as they so desired. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if mom wants a girl and dad wants a boy? A lot of changing going on in there. Obviously, we know that's not the way it takes place, but it's something that they believed. But one of the interesting things is they always recognized that from the very beginning, life began at the moment of conception. And they did so due to the fact of the book of Jeremiah. When Jeremiah was recognized by God to be a prophet of God while yet in the mother's womb, they saw and therefore carried it out that life began at the moment of conception. Of course, that's what I hold to, and I would hope that you would too as a believer in Jesus Christ. And this is the key purpose and the key reason that I am as probably pro-life as you get. And as a result, 
we see that this has a vast history in the Judeo-Christian faith. But when Elizabeth met Mary, and Mary greeted her cousin, the child within Mary and with Elizabeth, this is John the Baptist, leapt and leapt for joy. Now, that must have been an interesting experience, to say the least. Did he start doing one of those Irish dances right then and there to, you know, to expound upon his joy that he was in the presence of the Messiah? Did Elizabeth have to settle him down, saying, okay, now, come on, enough's enough, and the little feet are kicking out her stomach and so forth. But as a result, she then was filled by the Holy Spirit and proclaimed to Mary to confirm what Gabriel had said to her, and that is this, that you are carrying the Messiah. It is interesting, Daryl Bach brings this out in one of his commentaries on the book of Luke, and if you enjoy a good commentator, Daryl Bach is one of my favorites, especially on Luke Acts. But he says it is most likely that Elizabeth had no idea that Mary was pregnant when she first arrived that it was a revelation of God through the filling of the Holy Spirit that allowed her that insight and to therefore prophesy concerning not only Mary, but the child that was in her. Throughout the Old Testament, individuals were anointed with the Spirit of God for the purposes in which God tasked them to. In the New Testament, we find that there are three relationships that an individual believer can have with the Holy Spirit. First comes before we are saved that the Holy Spirit is with us, alongside of us. This is John 15, 14, I should say. But then once becoming a believer in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God therefore resides within us, and therefore it is a down payment and a confirmation that we are a new creation in Jesus Christ. And therefore, since we have been cleansed by the blood and the of Jesus Christ and our new creation, we therefore can receive also the filling of the Holy Spirit, which is talked about in Acts 1.8. The term in Acts 1.8 is the word epi. It means to be filled with overflowing. And again, that's what Jesus asked the disciples to wait upon until they went out. I'm sorry, until the Spirit came upon them and then they could go out and be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and to the other parts of the world. Now, this is not the disciples' first experience with the Holy Spirit in Acts 1.8, for Jesus breathed upon them in John, and therefore they received the Spirit, and this was a filling that is now, I believe, available to every believer in Jesus Christ for the purpose and the tasks of fulfilling the call of God upon our lives. In fact, Paul encourages us, do not be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. She's filled and therefore proclaims this incredible prophecy concerning the Messiah and concerning Mary. And yes, she is going to be blessed among women and blessed is the fruit of her womb, undoubtedly speaking of Jesus, the Messiah in which she is carrying. And in verse 43, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Interesting that Elizabeth realized that this was the Messiah, her Lord and Savior. In fact, we're going to see Mary, as we come to the song of Mary, 
the Magnificent, we're going to discover that she too recognized that the one that was in her was not only the Savior of the world, but her personal Savior. Showing and demonstrating that Mary herself saw that she was in need of salvation. Which of course would count, uh, cut against any doctrine that stated that Mary was perfect or righteous in and of herself. It showed and states that she also needed a Savior just like everyone else. The word Lord there is used throughout Luke's gospel, Christos in the Greek, and it is used in several places to describe that of the coming one, the Messiah, and Jehovah, or Yahweh, showing and stating that this title given to him is also meant to indicate that he himself is God. That she sees that not only is the Messiah within Mary, but through the Messiah she shall be saved, and the Messiah is God Himself. Talk about a baby shower, huh? These two were having. This is an extraordinary thing. But you know, there's a lot of the funds taken out of it. You, you, you know what's going to happen. You know that he's going to be born. It's going to be a boy. They knew that from the very beginning. They didn't even have to try to work out baby names. Both John and Jesus were given to them by the angels. Now they're trying to plot out, you know, the life of these individuals maybe. And yet that's already been determined for them both. God was at work in this entire process bringing about Messiah. And these are the things that Luke wants us to know. Remember that from the very beginning, he wanted the one in whom he is writing to Theophilus to be certain of these events. We are now certain that Elizabeth in her time of barrenness has now conceived. We are now certain that Mary as a virgin betrothed to Joseph has now conceived through the Holy Spirit this child in which she is carrying. For in verse 44, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Commentators debate if this is speaking of believing that Elizabeth had conceived in her barrenness and Mary then went to go see and to confirm, or if it has to do with Mary conceiving on behalf of the Holy Spirit, may yet not be showing in her pregnancy, wondering if it even took place, and yet now discovers that it has. The second seem more probable based upon how Mary reacts, starting here in verse 46. The interaction between Elizabeth and Mary leads to one of the first songs that Luke records within his gospel. We know it as the Magnificent. We know it as the time in which this song of Mary was uh, introduced. Magnificent means let be magnified. It is Mary magnifying the Lord for all that he has done. And in this beautiful song, we quickly see and discover that this young 14-year-old girl 
who's carrying the Messiah, who now finds herself in a position of real predicament, knowing that the world will look upon her unfavorably because it seems as if she has violated this time of betrothal with her husband Joseph. She cries out to God and thanks God, and it is astonishing to me the theological understanding that this young 14-year-old girl has of God. It is a theological understanding that is only found elsewhere in the Bible in the Old Testament when an individual had spent years with God and seeing God interact on his behalf, allowing him therefore to see through experience the character of God and allowing that character to develop through a lifetime of experiences and therefore to be recorded in a vast numerous a number of songs with the Old Testament, and I'm speaking of King David. But Mary didn't have that, uh, that ability. She was only 14. She's in a small town of Nazareth. She seems to be one of the lowly individuals in the class demographic of that time. She didn't have the privilege of sitting in the palace and being educated by those advisors that would surround the king from day to day. And yet, her understanding of God is amazing. So I had to ask myself, how could a young 14-year-old girl come to such an incredible depth of understanding and understanding of the character and nature of God? And it's found, the answer is found in her song. For her song is a uh, compilation of many phrases found within the book of Psalms. She discovered the incredible character of God through knowing the word of God. At 14, she has a comprehension that rarely do I find amongst many today of who God is. Now, though she was, uh, she conceived miraculously, and though God had granted her grace and favor, and though she was highly esteemed, it didn't mean that this added wisdom was given to her in the process. Most likely, she was trained by her parents, who would undoubtedly sing the Psalms to her at night as a small child. As she would grow as an individual, as a, a girl, she would not even be bar mitzvah or recognized as a, a male would be in that society. And yet she was capable of learning. As she knew the Psalms and recited the Psalms, and now in her glorification of God, she compiles the Psalms together to bring out some of the most dynamic character qualities of her God. Extraordinary extraordinary. This was one of the first songs sung in the early church. These songs were given by Luke. Now it's interesting, some scholars believe that Luke was a musician and that's why he 
brought these songs into his gospel, into this letter written to Theophilus, but more likely he is simply taking, as he said he would, from the fragmented pieces of every uh, bit that has been written and bringing them all together in a cohesive, organized letter that one could read from beginning to end and understand the meta-narrative, the overall narrative from the beginning of his birth to the moment of his crucifixion and death. And at this moment in time, he records this song as Mary begins to praise the Lord for the reality that she now discovers that truly she is carrying the Messiah. It's not as if Mary doubted or wavered But you know, even when you believe something, to see something confirmed in such a miraculous way has to leave a lasting oppression upon you, doesn't it? Encourage you in a way that nothing else could, no other way could encourage you. Seeing that God graciously encourages her in this manner. And she talks about, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in my God Savior. Mary already discovers that an individual is compiled of soul, spirit, and flesh. And her soul, her intellectual reasoning, her understanding, her characteristics, her personality, and so forth, has now submitted itself to magnify the Lord due to the fact that her spirit with inside of her is rejoicing in God, my Savior. Notice very clearly that she indicates that the child in whom she is carrying is her Savior. Christians today in Christianity... I think have lost the understanding of what salvation actually means. I think as individuals, we don't truly comprehend or appreciate the fact of Jesus Christ shouldering the wrath of God upon himself upon the cross in those three hours of darkness and that separation from God the Father, the judgment that was poured upon him, the darkness in which he discovered himself. All of that was going to be on us if, if the Savior of the world didn't step into place. We would have had to shoulder the darkness that comes from the judgment and death that leads from sin. That we were under the wrath of God until that Savior came to save us from that wrath. If we fully appreciated that, I think that we would embrace God so much more fervently and deeply than we currently do today. In everything that she states or could have stated from the very beginning of her magnifying of the Lord, it is unbelievable to me that she starts out with the issue of him being her savior. That she realizes that she's an individual separated from God by sin. And there's nothing that she can do to overcome that sin. Even the offerings in which she brings onto the temple are merely there as a kofar to cover the sin temporarily. But Christ, the Messiah, 
will come and wash away the sin permanently. Everything you done, will do, and are going to do. And as a result, she cries out to God, magnifies Him, because my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I hope that this Christmas, when we look at a nativity or we receive a card that has a nativity scene upon it, that we would remember that infant born into the world came in as our Savior to save us from sin, to save us from ourself, to save us from the separation from God for all eternity that the Bible speaks of. In a place that the Word of God says was created for the devil and his angels called hell. God saved us from these things. And when she then moved on from identifying him as a savior, she then remembers his faithfulness. Let us read on to that. For in verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. There is good reason to believe that Joseph and Mary were probably two who lived in poverty. The reason I believe that is because living in the city of Nazareth was almost uh, a necessity. It's no one chose Nazareth. You know, if you live somewhere else in Israel and you went to the realtor and said, you know, we've got to move and I'm retiring and I want to get away. I want a place where I can just kind of settle down, some peace and quiet, beautiful area, you know, well-spoken of. And the realtor would never come back with Nazareth. You know, Nazareth was a place that people went to where they really couldn't go anywhere else. This is why Nathaniel says, has anything good ever come out of Nazareth, you know? But it's not only that, when we find Joseph and Mary in Jerusalem, and they're bringing their offering upon to the Lord, the offering was prescribed to be a lamb, but if they could not afford a lamb, they were then allowed to sacrifice two turtle doves on behalf of their sin. That's what they do. They brought two turtle doves for their sin to show that they were in poverty. Now it is interesting that the God of all the universe didn't pick a queen in the castle, didn't pick a movie star of the culture, didn't pick an individual that was the intellectual pinnacle of genius there in Judaism but a 14-year-old girl living in obscurity, probably very few knowing her name. And now she discovers that the grace of God has fallen upon her. And all you see from her is a heart of gratitude and humility and just praising the Lord for his great grace towards her as he has found her in her lowly, humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all the generations will call me blessed. She wasn't boasting. She was just rejoicing, saying, Lord, how has this fallen to me? For he who is mighty has done a great thing for me. 
and holy is his name. She sees within this God's faithfulness, that God has kept his promise even when Israel over the years has been so unfaithful to God, God has remained faithful to Israel. As God promised to Abraham that through him a nation would rise and through that nation one would come that would bless all the nations of the world, speaking of Jesus Christ. She now knows the Old Testament well enough to say, God, you have been faithful when we were faithless. You were strong when we were weak. You kept your promises to us, Lord, and were able to perform those promises even when we did not deserve such faithfulness towards us. Your power is unstoppable. This power wrapped within the sovereignty of God that God is going to bring about His purposes and He's going to apologize to no one for it. And this power wrapped, around, wrapped in His righteousness, His holiness, His purity and perfection in His moral character. And out of this holiness, she undoubtedly remind, was reminded of Psalm 111.9. He sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. And she's just glorifying God for what God has done on her behalf in and through the child who is not yet born. And she is thanking God and reminding us in this beautiful song of who He is and what capable of doing. But if we were only to discover His faithfulness, His power, and His holiness, we would be incomplete in our understanding of who God is. If we truly understand holiness properly, we should fear it. Because none of us are capable of interacting and communing with one who is in such perfection. who garners such power. But holiness and power do not act within a vacuum within God. For the fifth characteristic of God that she finds is one that you and I must embrace each and every single day of our Christian walks with Him. This incredible sovereign God who's created all things, that He is all-powerful, He is all-knowing, He is majestic beyond all fair, and in His power and righteousness and holiness, there are attributes that govern those factors and are by necessity required to be interacted at the same time that these other characters are acted. When God acts in righteousness. It isn't righteousness acting alone. The other characteristics of God act in concert with who God is. And as a result, look at what she discovers and reminds us in verse 50. And that is, and His mercy is for those who fear Him for generation to generation. It is interesting that so many see a God of vengeance in the Old Testament fire and brimstone, judging constantly. 
you know, seeming to be an angry God in all accounts. But yet the Old Testament speaks about mercy over and over and over again. God wants to interact with us on the basis of mercy, on the basis of love, on the basis of grace. He wants to interact with us in that manner because these are dynamic qualities of who he is. And he knows our frailties. He knows where we are weak. He understands where we fall short. And he has made up the difference in and of himself through the person of Jesus Christ. And if we by faith will accept him, those valleys that keep us from interacting with God, communing with God, we are now mediated through Christ to God the Father once again. And any weakness found in me is completely negated in the qualities of the perfection of Jesus Christ. She sees that God wants to be merciful. If we confess our sins, he will respond with us in mercy. If we will walk in fear of him, that is in reverence and respect of him, he will show us mercy. That we, like the uh, the psalmist, can get up each and every morning and know that the mercies of God are afresh each and every day. I rely on that. I don't know about you. Because sometimes I feel like I wear out the mercy of God. And he says, don't worry about it. There's all kinds of new mercy coming tomorrow. Because he loves us. And because Christ has uh, fulfilled the deficit that we have created between us and God. She knew that. That God has been merciful to me. That the God of all creation has allowed me to carry the Savior of the world within me. I am nobody, she says. But undoubtedly, when she said this, I think that Psalm 103, verses 17 through 19, may be, may be ringing out in her heart. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to his children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments, the Lord has established his throne in heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Nothing shall eliminate this position before us through Christ. The depth of the theology that she had at 14 taught to her by her parents undoubtedly as she simply sang the songs found in the Psalms themselves allowed her and prepared her for this moment. If I haven't said this before, let me say it again. The greatest influence on our children will be we who are their parents. If we choose to delegate that responsibility to someone else or not to fulfill that uh, responsibility at all, someone else will be all too willing to tell our kids what they should believe and what they should do in life. I don't believe that it's ever too early or too late to begin to instruct our children in the way of the Lord. But let us understand something, that our children aren't stupid. Our children are going to watch us more than they listen to us. They want to see if our life's behavior is consistent with what we say we believe. And I'll tell you one thing about teenagers, they can spot a phony from a mile away. And if we are discouraged or or 
unaware of why our instruction to our children hasn't been fruitful? Is it because they see in us a, a inconsistency? That we say one thing with our mouth, but we do something else with our life. Let us not say that there's great value in the Word of God when we ourselves don't spend time in the Word of God. Let us not tell our children that prayer of the righteous man avails much when we don't pray or they don't see us pray. Let us be honest with ourselves. We need to raise up our children. We need to train them up in the way of the Lord. We don't even know who Mary's parents were, but yet they instilled in her a foundation that was prepared to receive such a great blessing, and that is to carry the Savior of the world. That's fascinating to me. It also shows me that you don't have to be brilliant to understand the Word of God. And I'm not saying this is a derogatory statement towards Mary, but I certainly believe that the Word of God was written for everyone to understand and believe. That's why each and every Sunday, each and every Wednesday, I get up and I teach from the perspective that I fully believe that you are capable of learning. I don't care who you are. You are fully capable of learning. Now, some may take longer than others, but that's okay. Christian faith is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And we grow just like anything else grows in its perfect time. But I do believe that everyone can fully understand. And as she did, not only does she praise God for what he has done in her life, but quickly let us see that verses 51 through 55, she now praises him because he's answering the prayers of Israel. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. We must place these words in the context of her perspective. And that is, is that she sees her nation suffering. Her people are being taxed beyond their ability to pay. They are losing their wealth. They are losing their land. They are losing their property. They are losing their daughters and sons to the Roman Empire due to the fact that they cannot pay. The rich are in control. The Romans had come along the rich of Israel to uh, make the transition of Israel's subjection even smoother. And so she sees this happening beside her. And now God has stated that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who's going to hold all things into account, aren't going to come through the rich, but through you, Mary, of the lowly estate. And she is saying, now through my, this child, my child, this child within me, everything is going to be righted. And she's not saying that it's going to be righted automatically, but she's saying that this is the beginning of bringing everything back to the state in which the perfection that God had created it in was enjoyed. And he looked upon his creation and he said, it is good. This is what Mary is saying here. That Lord, through this child, you've overcome the Roman Empire. Through this child, you have overcome the wealth of our society. Through this child, the corruption of this society will be brought to naught. 
That is what she is saying there. That the hungry would be fed with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. As Mary concluded this praise, she says, this is everything that Abraham had waited for. This is it. This is the moment. This is the time. And as we come now to that moment in time where all the world remembers the birth of Jesus Christ, let us understand this is our Savior. This is our faithful one. This is our all-powerful one. This is the holy one. This is the merciful one. This is the one full of love and grace. And through him, the world and the corruption and the sin and death that prevail within it will be brought to an end once and for all. I can't look upon a nativity without thinking of those things now. And I really hope that those individuals who like to steal baby Jesus understand that there's a place reserved for them in hell. No, I'm kidding. Just wanted to see if you were still listening. But that being said, let us understand that this is more than just a moment that a child was born. It's a moment that the world was changed forever. As Isaiah wrote, he said, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, and whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took to the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corner, saying to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. And do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And later on in the next chapter, he finishes by stating this as Isaiah concludes, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Each time we conclude together on our countdown to Christmas, we leave with the truth that I believe transcends all of history and is found from Genesis to Revelation within the Bible. This truth is articulated for us in the book of Romans chapter 4, verse 21. That God is able to perform all that He has promised to us. Whatever God has promised, He is able to perform and is perfectly capable of bringing about. Whatever God's promises may be, and how, you know, incredibly um, fictional they sound in their, in their statement, God is saying, I can do it because I am God. Let us understand that God's promises will come to pass, and He is able to perform that in which He has promised. So when you read the promises of God, there are over 3,000 promises of God made to you. When you read them and you say, I don't know how that's possible, understand it's possible because He is God who has made the promise to you. 
And undoubtedly Mary would have said, oh, the promise that God has made, he has fulfilled here at this moment. What God has promised, he is able to perform. 